It's Throwback Thursday. Hey everyone, it's time to take a little walk down memory lane again. This time, all the way back to June of 2021, when Max Collins sat in to discuss the writing, recording, and release of Inside Out by Eve Six. Max definitely has a sense of humor about being the heart in a blender guy, but the love for this 90s classic definitely lives on, and this episode is still just as much fun as when it first came out. So I won't hold you up here. Let's get to it. From June 7th of 2021, this is episode number 54 of Chris to Makes a Podcast. Max Collins discusses Eve Six's Inside Out. I would swallow my pride. I would choke on the rinds, but the lack thereof would leave me empty inside. Swallow my doubt, turn it inside out, find nothing but faith in nothing. Want to put my tender heart in a blender, watch it spin round to a beautiful oblivion. Hey friends, today's guest is Max Collins, lead singer and bass guitarist for the Los Angeles, California rock band, Eve Six. Max and I get down to business breaking down their mega smash hit, Inside Out, taken from their first self-titled album released in 1998. The birth of the song is unlike any story I've heard on the podcast up to this point. Max takes us through the initial process of writing the song and how it attracted the brass at RCA Records, who signed the band while they were still in high school. We talked about the oddity of what makes a hit song and why, for whatever reason, some of the greatest songs never make it onto the radio. Max was super complimentary as to what producer Don Gilmore brought to the table and how Don was able to take the sheer excitement and raw talent of such a young band and harness that into a number one rock record. And we shared a laugh over the time Max found himself standing at a urinal next to Fred Durst of Limp Biscuit, and how that conversation had a direct correlation to Inside Out. For all this and a whole lot more, don't touch that dial. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. I was born in New York City, but then... When I was like four, we moved to Coconut Grove, Florida. Oh, okay. And then I moved out here right before the sixth grade. And I actually saw your band. I'm sure you won't remember this show, but it was an all-ages venue in Canoga Park. Oh, I remember. And it was December of 95, I believe. Holy hell. Yeah. Yeah. That's when we got signed. That's when we got signed to Capitol. My mom, dad, grandma, and brother were out there. No I know way. exactly the show you're. Yeah. That was late December of 95, like around December 21st, 22nd. It's driving me yeah. crazy that I can't remember what that place was called. Uh, I don't remember, but I do remember seeing another show there. <laughs> it was probably the same promoter, too. And the promoter maced everyone. Uh, no, we were playing. What am I talking about? We were on stage. And, and <laughs> like, there was maybe a pit, I guess. I doubt it could have been a very, you know, frightening one. Yeah. Next thing we knew, we were, like, <clears throat> choking on pepper spray. Always a good time. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the dangers of playing uh, crappy clubs back in the 90s, right? Oh, yeah. So for the listeners, I want to give a little bit of history here. You know, researching you guys, it appears like you guys were still in high school when RCA Records came along. At the time, you were called Eleven Teen, and you recorded an EP, but I couldn't find it on online. Was that EP ever released? And were any of those songs on that EP of Eleven Teen, did they ever make it to the self-titled record that came out in 98? It wasn't formally released, no. It was just like, you know, we'd have it at shows and stuff like that. There was one song (laughs) called Nocturnal Emissions that was repurposed on the second Eve Six record. It was just called Nocturnal. Uh, But but it it was, I can't remember how much of the original thing was actually preserved. I don't think, I don't think that much of it. Gotcha. Well, you know. I know like less than Jake's story where I came from and it was just a lot of touring the underground punk rock circuit and the tape trading and the seven inches and whatnot. And, you know, it just seems like you guys, I know you said you were playing some shows, but it seemed like, wow, you have this first record and all of a sudden the song we're going to talk about today, Inside Out, just gets on the radio. It seems from the outside looking in that this happened really fast for you guys. Or was there a, was there a, a building up to, to the first record? No, I mean, it did, relatively speaking, happen extremely quickly, which I think was was pretty infuriating for a lot of bands that did 
have to, you know, slog it out on the road for, for years and stuff. Yeah. Our story is strange. We formed in high school in the 10th grade and our, our original name was Yaku. And our original drummer was this guy, Kyle Briggs, who went on to play in the hippos who were, do you remember the hippos? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So you, you play, you play with Kyle. Yeah. Kyle was our first drummer. We got him from a small, small world, an ad in the recycler. (laughs) And then he left the band and we got Nick Myers, who was a high school, a high school friend who's a couple years older and yeah, so we were playing a lot of all ages venues, like the one that we just spoke about. We did a show at this place called the Natural Fudge Company. I don't know if you remember that place. It was in Hollywood, all tiny all ages place. I don't, but did you guys ever play Dizzy Debbie's, the Chinese restaurant? I think we did. <laughs> I've talked about that with Aaron from Real Big Fish on this show before, because what a wacky. And there was a couple Chinese restaurants that we were playing in the 90s. There was one in Seattle. It was like it was like a thing for a minute. Yeah. Chinese restaurants were holding holding all ages punk shows. It was like, what the hell is going on? I do remember a place. I don't remember what it was called, but it fits that description. It was like <laughs> not a club. Yeah. Yeah. So we were doing we were doing a bunch of those all ages shows just on weekends and, and backyard parties and stuff like that, doing that whole thing, making flyers, all of that stuff. And, you know, and we, and we would bring a lot of kids out. Um, We did a show at this natural fudge company spot and someone from Dr. Dream records was there. That would have been Howard Benson, probably Howard Benson. Well, Howard Benson ran Dr. Dream, and Howard ended up producing Less Than Jake. He went on to produce uh, My Chemical Romance, Hoobastank, Daughtry. He's a No, I mean, I know who Howard now. Benson is, but are, you, are, you, are we thinking of the same label, Dr. Dream? Like, it was this tiny label out of Orange County. Absolutely. He, he put out the first Zebrahead album on Dr. Dream. He did? I had no idea. Yeah, that was Howard. That was Howard. That's crazy. <laughs> small world. Once again, small world. <laughs> I want to say the guy, the 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 woman's name who saw us was named Jill. And then she, she liked us. She brought us down to the label and we met one of the, the dude who was in the grabbers. Okay. I forget his name. Remember that band. Um, well, you know, what's crazy about all this too, Max is, well, first of all, I want to go back to what you were talking about a moment ago and just say it wasn't a knock or a slight. What I was saying about how you guys just, I mean, it's amazing what happened to you. I mean, th- there's only a small slot at radio. And the fact, I mean, you, you had a hit at radio. Not many people in in the grand scheme of the world can say that, you know. And it's on your first record, boom, this song. And that song was everywhere in 98, at, as you know. So that in and of itself is a, a, a really cool thing. No, I appreciate that. No, and I don't take it as a knock at all. I just, understandably so, was a perception of like, you know, these guys. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of an overnight thing compared to a lot of bands that were you know 10 years on the road in a van but yeah we ended up doing a deal with dr dream steve soto of the adolescence was producing the record we were cutting drums and during that during those sessions dr dream had hooked up an interview radio interview performance thing with this company called radio asylum that was like a syndicated underground syndicated radio show at the time so she came to the studio we recorded a few live songs for her show and a a little interview and her her name was jennifer harold and she just like really kind of loved our band and was like i want to manage you guys and we were like okay so while we were doing those sessions for dr dream she sent that recording of us playing live which i'm sure sounded like hell <laughs> uh, to uh, brian maloof and bruce floor at rca who she had known she had met just doing her her thing over the years and they liked it and flew out to la to see a showcase that we did at that rehearsal space on Lankershim, the one that used to have the clouds painted on it where like the chili peppers rehearse and stuff like that. It was like for us at the time, a very fancy place. And yeah, I remember uh, Brian Maloof and Bruce floor being like 45 minutes late. And I was just like, Oh, they're not going to come. 
I was like standing out on the curb, <laughs> like nerdily and nervously, like waiting for the car to pull up. And uh, they eventually came. We we played a showcase for them. <laughs> Again, I remember it just being, I mean, we were high school kids. We were, you know, not that good. <laughs> uh, not, but you know not what? You know what? If 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 you if you're worth your weight and salt as an A and R person or a label executive, you can see through the rough exterior. You know, and they obviously they obviously saw something. And I got to make mention of, and I mentioned this on the show before. You know, RCA Records by the mid '90s. I mean, they were kind of. I think it, the people were saying it stood for the Recording Cemetery of America. 100. I mean, the label was pretty dead. I mean, then you guys come along, and um, we're gonna get into the song here in a minute. But Inside Outs from uh, your self titled uh, uh, first record came out. Uh, April 28th of 98 and uh, Inside Out was released uh, shortly thereafter in May of 98 uh, the producer of the record was Don Gilmore which I had the Pop-Off Brothers from Lit on here recently on the show and they were talking about Don and how they loved the sound and the production and what he did with the Eve 6 record of course they got signed to RCA <laughs> you know a year a year later the, a place in the sun comes out so it's kind of cool to see what happened to RCA and it sounds seems like almost like you guys were were, were the start of their rebirth yeah it, which is funny i mean we were we were kind of a first for them in that 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 wave for them and yeah they were when we signed with them, yeah, really known for not being a very effective label for rock bands. And Don Gilmore hadn't produced a record of note either. He had done engineering work on some big records, but we heard a record that he'd done by then called The Cunninghams out of Seattle that that we thought sounded great. And he was also down to do it for a smaller budget because when... I think oh, you're exactly right. Like they saw RCA saw something in us. They they did give us a record deal. It wasn't a production deal. It was a record deal, but it kind of in practice was a production deal because it was like it, they wanted to see what we would turn into. And it was uh, with the understanding that we'd finish high school. We were juniors in high school when we signed the deal, which is incredible. It, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Yeah, it is. It's it's really crazy. So we we toward the end of our senior year played in a rehearsal room for our A&R guy a few of the songs that we had one of which was Inside Out but it was before Don Gilmore got to it so it was like longer there wasn't that G chord before the chorus uh, uh -huh. there was no bridge and uh, our A&R guy took us to Musso and Frank's afterwards and he was like, yeah, I don't get it. He's like, I just, I see you guys falling through the cracks. <laughs> That's always encouraging. Yeah, no, I was fucking, <laughs> I was so bummed. Uh, I mean, I was, I was crestfallen. Like I, you know, and, and, but, and he was like, but I'm going to give you a little bit of money to get these songs off your chest. I was like, you condescending motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> and uh and so he did it, we were able to hire don for a cheap price our drummer at the time who was not the drummer in the band when we got signed a lot of people think we got signed out of nepotism he was not the drummer when we got signed nick was <clears throat> nick left when the deal was offered it freaked him out and so we signed the deal with nick or after signing the deal, Nick left. And then we got Tony Faganson to play drums. Tony Faganson's dad is Don was the producer who did like <laughs> Bonnie Ray awesome. and Rolling Stones, yeah. all that stuff. Of course. So he had Chomsky recording studios up in the hill. We were able to record for free. So that allowed us to be able to get these songs off our chest. Um, we did that with Don. We recorded Inside Out showerhead another song off the first record and one more song and our guy flew out heard those and was like oh okay all right now at, the, at this point were these still demos this this wasn't what the final cut that made the record no this this would have been the i mean in various states of completion the the what would be the master recordings 
Oh, what would be the final thing? Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so take us back to this time. Uh, you know, the record was was in April of '98 when it was released. So we're talking fall of '97. You're recording somewhere around there. And do you recall actually writing Inside Out? Is it something that you had lying around for a while, or something organically that came with the band? Because in researching the song, it seems that the the music is credited to the band, but you you wrote all the lyrics. Is that correct? Yeah. So the way it kind of worked with our band. You know, I mean, I would I would write on acoustic guitar, sometimes even bass. Uh, I, I play bass in the band, and you know, I would I would write the lyrics and melody and and bring them to the band, and then in the room, the rehearsal room or the bedroom or whatever it was, we'd flesh stuff out. Guys would come up with parts. We'd try out different things and other people's suggestions. Inside Out, in its first iteration was an up-tempo almost social distortion like kind of swinging up-tempo song that had a completely different verse (laughs) is this something that don molded into what it was or did you guys because i mean this song's a a, a pocketed groove it's not a (laughs) yeah it's not a social distortion type song at all not at all it's very interesting that that that's what it was no don hadn't gotten to it yet it was a friend of mine who said that they really liked the chorus but didn't really like the verse and i was like huh so i in you know my parents bedroom my my bedroom at my parents house was was just like let me see what i can do with it and broke it to to halftime and yeah wrote wrote that that verse um the the first verse you know chords melody lyric um, the second verse I literally wrote in English class in my junior or senior year. I guess it would have been junior year. That is so cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> that is that's a, that's a trip. I, I don't know if I've, I've I've never met anybody in thirty years of the business that wrote a song in high school that ended up being a, a hit of this magnitude. That's awesome. That's really cool. Thanks, dude. Yeah. Well, there, it's funny because we were reading um, a novel by Carson McCullers. I can never remember the name of the book, but there was this ugly, sad juxtaposition thing that she would do in the novel. And I straight up plagiarized that in the song. I'm not as ugly, sad as you. (laughs) Um, That's great. Yeah. So, so that, that much was done, done by us. What Don did was say, there's way too much information in this song. Like the verses need to be shorter. Don was a, a really into like threes, like instead of having, you know, four cycles through in a verse, having one be clipped so that you're. It's so funny. You mentioned that. Cause this is, this is in my notes. That's so interesting on that first verse. It is in threes, not in fours. And I'd like to jump in right now yeah. if we can, yeah, yeah. And, we'll, and we'll get, we'll get into this. Yeah. Uh, Inside out is three minutes and 39 seconds. Uh, perfect rock radio, uh, uh, time there. Um, the song starts out, it's kind of like a pick scrape noise before the first chord rings out. And then it's just guitar and vocal. And and it's an intro chorus. Yeah. You start with, yeah. you actually, you actually start with a chorus and it's kind of got this personal vibe and I'm going to read the lyrics here. Um, I would swallow my pride. I would choke on the rinds, but the lack thereof would leave me empty inside. Swallow my doubt, turn it inside out, find nothing but faith in nothing. Want to put my tender heart in a blender. Watch it spin round to a beautiful oblivion. Rendezvous, then I'm through with you. Uh, and then there's two hits on the hi-hat, a single guitar string slide in, and the whole band is in for verse one. And before we get to verse one, I'm going to have you set up these lyrics. Before we go any further, though, uh, were you pissed when Limp Biscuit stole your lyric for Nookie? I mean, I I was I was per I was performatively pissed. I wasn't absolutely. I mean, pissed. it's not like it's not like hey, hey hey baby, let's rock and roll like some generic lyric. I mean, tender heart in a blender is pretty specific. Yeah, it that's, was, that's plagiarism. It was, it was almost uh, it, uh, it was akin to like it was more like a sample because of the nature of the lyric. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not like he was saying like he said you know 
baby, I want to hold you tonight or some shit. It's like, this is, you know, this is very yeah, clearly it's... coming from this song. Um, he, he told me about, so I ended up randomly in a bathroom with him uh, at some, at some bar. Like I was just, I'm, I'm taking a piss and at the urinal next to me is Fred Durst. And he's like, Hey man, uh, I used one of your lyrics in my song. And, uh, I, and you're like no shit. I was like no shit. Yeah, I think at this point the song was out. Um, I don't remember what I said, but uh, but yeah, no, it's just one one of those sort of just fucking bizarre things that you know, little moments. Totally bizarre. Uh, set up these first lyrics here. This uh, usually we, we get to the chorus and talk about it, but because this song starts with the chorus, so I just I just read them through and, and kind of set this up. What 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 you're feeling here? What you what, what what it's about? I think. I'm uh, attempting to just articulate a feeling. I mean, I, I reductively kind of, you know, refer to it as teen angst or whatever. I don't think that's, I mean, that's, that's like kind of insanely broad, but it's also not, not incorrect. Uh, I, when I was writing all these songs, I, I had a very specific girl in mind who like I was absolutely in love with totally broke my heart all of those predictable things but this song does get to uh larger themes however imperfectly i mean for 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 an 11 11th grader there is some poetry going on here i, I got a tip of the hat to you i mean I, i've never heard anybody refer to rinds in a song like the rind of a, of a fruit yeah or something. yeah you know, and that's a it's 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 different you know and it, and and for for uh yeah 16 year old kid it's i don't know i i don't know if the if the word deep is what the word is but it, it's it's different it's 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 cool yeah i appreciate that i think there's sort of like a theme on that first record of like uncertainty you know the find nothing but faith in nothing thing i guess we're not at the chorus yet but i i think you know the way i've always kind of written is to kind of tap into this like kind of fugue state where I'm just, I'm like playing with phonics. I'm playing with the way words sound. I don't necessarily know what I'm going to say until something kind of appears like phenomena that feels compelling, um, that feels interesting, not boring, you know? So something is okay. That this thing has my attention and and I, I get there by just kind of making sounds with my mouth, basically, like sort of seeing what phonetics feel good and what words kind of attach themselves and and building it like that. You know, and I know a lot of writers start with a title or or, or know that they're writing about something very specific. That's such an awesome point you made. I have to stop you there real quick. Just yeah. about that phonetics. And sometimes as songwriters, I'll, you know, you just be kind of, we call it scatting, scatting along just nonsense words when you're writing a melody and then you go write lyrics and it never hits you with that same emotion. You have to go back and actually, sometimes you end up using those first words oh, 100%. because yeah, because it, it, it hits you a certain way. And, and the new word, even though the lyric might be a little more clever or better, it's not as good. 100%. And I'm so much a believer in sacrificing clever for the way things sound slash feel. Because it's like, yeah, you know, it's not poetry. It's 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 song. It's it's a different thing. And, and especially for like anything that you can, could consider like rock like my favorite songs so often the ones that feel most transcendent i haven't the faintest idea what the fuck they're talking about but yeah there's <laughs> yeah. there's like a there's like the, the way the words sound is so important yeah someone that comes to a couple of bands come to mind like the cars or prince or they were singing totally. sometimes like what are they singing about it just made you feel good exactly you know? exactly made, made it, it made you made you rock um I want to get into the first verse now and uh, going back to what you're talking about with Don and threes, uh, the, these lyrics kind of go in threes here and I, I call it nine and the second verse is only six times and it might be kind of hard for the listeners to visualize. I'll try to break it down here. Um, verse one, I burn, burn like a wicker cabinet, chalk white and oh so frail. I see our time has gotten stale. That's one. The tick tock of the clock is painful, all sane and logical. I want to tear it off the wall. That's two. 
I hear words and clips and phrases. I think sick like ginger ale. Love that line. Uh, My stomach turns and I exhale. That's the third part of the first verse. Um, Couple things here and what I want you to break down the lyrics. Uh, At the part where it says, I want to tear it off the wall. um, Is that your drummer Tony Feginson doing an overdub on his hi-hats? Is that part of the original drum track? Or are there shakers of some kind that come in there? It's really interesting. I can't really tell. I think there are shakers that come in there. I could be wrong. It's definitely shakers later, but there I couldn't really tell. And it's just, it's just a cool little thing that comes in and makes you go, hmm, you know. And I, I really like that part. The first harmony, vocal harmonies that we hear in the song, come in on. I hear words and clips and phrases. I think sick like ginger ale. That's in on the last line. It's you alone. Uh, was that something that Don came to, or was was that something you you would you had thought of? Um, uh, before. Don came into the picture, John and I, John Siebel's the guitar player of Eve Six, we played with harmonies a lot. <laughs> and so much so that our AR guy at RCA referred to us as the Everly Brothers of Punk because we we, <laughs> we did we did a lot of a lot of that. Well, uh, real, real quick, yeah. I gotta uh, not to interrupt you, I want to stop you there because you know, I assumed that it was you singing with yourself the harmonies on the record is that actually john doing the the harmonies on that first record the majority of the harmonies are are john i don't think i did any the reason i ask i went back i saw you guys on letterman i went and saw some live performances of the song and damn it sounded awesome like you guys can sing together so it wasn't like you know because a lot of times the, the the lead singer will track his harmonies and you see him live like yeah really yeah cut it but but you could you could tell i was then i was like wait a second i think he's doing the backing vocals it's awesome yeah i literally didn't know how to i, I couldn't sing harmonies at, at, at that time i i couldn't divorce the melody from my brain i mean now that's it's the hardest I love and I do I love writing harmonies I love singing harmonies and I and I do on on a lot of the you know on the newer Eve 6 stuff that we're we've just started to put out but we still use John's voice a lot because he's just he's a great harmony singer has a really high voice can hit high notes and full voice Hey everyone, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with our Throwback Thursday episode with Max Collins after a few words from our sponsors. Hello out there. Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Put your And now back to our throwback Thursday episode with Max Collins. Set up this first verse. There's a lot of imagery here. I, I burn, burn like a wicker cabinet. You got the line. Uh, I hear words and clips and phrases. I think sick like ginger ale. You know, ginger ale was given to me as a kid when I had an upset stomach. Is that what that re- it was? I guess set, set up the verse for you. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, hearing you read them, I'm realizing that they are all, I mean, wicker cabinets like we had i don't they weren't cabinets but they were like we had this like white wicker furniture at my parents house that's where that came from think sick like ginger ale absolutely when i was when i was sick my mom would get me ginger ale um you know it's and i can also hear how again i'm letting phonetics lead you know because like wicker cabinet like it wasn't a cabinet but cabinet's going to sound better than whatever the object actually was like 
Yeah, a, a wicker chair or whatever. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> you know, and again, I'm not even sure what I'm uh, what I'm saying. I think I'm just like, you know how it is when you're like, you're kind of in that place and it's sort of like the waking dream time and you can just kind of uh, explore stuff. Yeah. Well, at the 57 second mark, just shy of a minute, we hit the first chorus. And of course, we've already heard the first chorus uh, at the at the intro, but now it's full band. And again, uh, I'll read the lyrics. I would swallow my pride. I would choke on the rinds, but the lack thereof would leave me empty inside. I would swallow my doubt, turn it inside out, find nothing but faith in nothing. Want to put my tender heart in a blender, watch it spin round to a beautiful oblivion, rendezvous, then I'm through with you. And I what a groove here. Uh, you can really hear the bell on the ride cymbal, which it, that in and of itself is a hook here. Yeah. You know, a lot of times the the drummer, you know, it doesn't get credit for being a hook in a song. And just the way that that bell uh, comes out there is awesome. There's vocal harmonies throughout uh, up to where it says turn inside out. And then the band stops on find nothing but faith in nothing. The guitar slide comes back in. And right there, there's a harmony on the rest of the chorus throughout it. Um, And at the very end... Sounds like a shaker this time, right before the second verse begins. It kind of a little bit of uh, uh, nuance there. It's really cool. But at the part where it says tender heart in a blender right there, it sounds like it's almost like a a Leslie or or a tremolo effect on a guitar that comes in. Is that that what that is? Probably. Probably. I, I don't totally remember. And was that something something that Don probably suggested in the studio 100%, as a layer? Hundred percent. That would would have been a, a Don suggestion, as well as the weird chord before the chorus that I honestly think makes the song. Like I think yes. like that that's the thing that makes that chorus satisfying. It's a it's a it's a monotone. It's a one note chorus. It's like an a melodic chorus. But like having that tension right before it hits is what makes it satisfying, I think. That's awesome. Well, it, it pretty much goes right into the second verse. And before we get into the second verse, do you, up to this point in the song, Max, do you recall the arrangement? I know you said Don uh, you know, had, had, had done stuff with it, but not counting when it was the Social Distortion song. But when you were in that studio now, uh, Don was a studio, and you're, you're tracking the song, was the song pretty much the same up to this point, or, or was there an, uh, changes going on? The song, the, the, the blueprint of, of the song we'd gotten in pre-production uh, okay. w- with Don. So we knew what we were dealing with, with like the timestamp. The, the only part that didn't exist yet was, was the bridge lyric and melody. Okay, which we're going to get to that, which the bridge in this song is killer. Um, <clears throat> verse two, uh, I'm going to read, read it out here and I'll let you set this one up. And in my notes, I wrote, this is a third shorter than verse one, and I'll uh, illustrate that to the listeners. SoCal is where my mind states, but it's not my state of mind. I'm not as ugly, sad as you. That's one. Or am I origami? Crazy lyric. Again, <laughs> for a 16-year-old kid, it's deep. Thanks. Uh, fold, fold it up and just pretend. Demented as the motives in your head. And that's the second part, uh, uh, here, those three lines of verse two. Uh, the second part here from uh, or am I origami on? There's a vocal harmony throughout there, not on the first half, which which is cool. Set this up. Where did the origami line come from? That's that's different. <laughs> yeah, again, I think it's just playing with phonetics. It's following or am I, right? And it's a, the question is <laughs> or am I? And I'm sure, you know, I, I, 
had cultivated by by that point a mind that's looking for the thing you know that the the way to play with with words and sounds and that's probably that probably just popped out the, the the words or am i i'm sure made me think of the word origami you know yeah i i, I again uh rhymes that's one and origami i don't think i've ever heard those in a song before or after this so <laughs> <laughs> yeah um wait so i'm blanking on how the second verse opens it's uh, so, SoCal, so Cal right. is where, where my mind states, but it's not my state of mind. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah. And that's just, uh, yeah. Illustrating just feeling like every high school kid does probably, probably that you're an alien, you're, you know, you're an outsider or whatever. So Cal is where my mind states, but it's not my state of mind. I'm not as ugly, sad as you. That's my plagiarism from the Carson McCullers novel. Um, <laughs> Uh, Anybody ever call you out on that or, or, or recognize that? No, no one, no one ever did. She's a really interesting. Hopefully, you don't get a call from the publisher. Now. Figure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have been on your podcast. Yeah, that'd be it. really funny. I'm not as ugly, sad as you, or am I? Origami folded up and just pretend meant it as the motives in your head. Yeah, I'm just playing with sounds and playing with sounds and words. Like it's, it doesn't really run deeper than that, but. They are words that, I think, do the thing where they offer themselves up to the listener to project whatever they're feeling onto them in a way that only songs that are done by painting with abstraction do. It's like if you have a super specific lyric, I think it's harder for the listener to like literally make it their own to like it, you know, put, put on, put on to the song, whatever happens to be going on in their life or whatever they happen to be worried about or excited about or whatever, sad about whatever it, it, it may be. So I think like, again, that's some, some of the kind of accidental value in the song, like looking at it objectively decades later, um, no, nah, I mean, I, I had no idea. I, I love the fact that you wrote this when you were in high school. It's, it's amazing to me. Thanks, I mean, man. It's, 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 it's amazing. Uh, getting into chorus, uh, chorus three, it's actually the second full chorus is the band, but it's the third time you hear the chorus because the song opens with the chorus. I'm not going to read all the lyrics again, but um, there's vocal harmonies throughout this chorus again, uh, except for the stop in the middle, find nothing but faith in nothing. And I noticed here when listening, and I'm, I'm going to assume, Max, that this uh, record was tracked to tape and not to pro tools correct okay and the reason i say that you know a lot of times when especially in the pop world when you're you're going for radio uh it, it's copy and paste in pro tools or logic whatever you're just going to keep putting the same harmonies and i notice uh there's a thing known as sibilance uh, for the listeners that's like the s's and the t and the p sounds are very harsh on the first time you say you say faith it really comes out harsh and the, the first time. This time it's a little more subtle, and that's when I recognized, okay, that definitely wasn't copy and paste it. And I notice also that the harmony sounds different. It's the same, I think, I think, uh, I think uh, John was going for the same thing, but just it was sung a little different on Heart in a Blender, as I love that harmony on that line. From the first chorus to the second, it's different, and that's so cool. I'm so with you. It's so... He, hearing that now is it's like just so refreshing yeah because like so much new stuff um that comes out is so copy pasted perfected and yeah you don't hear those slight changes from there's some push pull going on here you know i had a guest on recently we were talking about that it's nice when things don't have to line up perfectly it's couldn't figure out in the early days of the band why you know people didn't like our recordings because it didn't sound like us we were trying to make everything sound so tight and perfect but that wasn't what we sound like live there's an energy there there's the that push pull that uh that the people here and i i really noticed that there um we get done with the with chorus three and uh we're at two minutes and two seconds and we're in the uh, bridge, which is the instrumental part. And after you say, I'm through with you, I believe you say rendezvous again. I couldn't find that in any lyric sheets on Google, but I think you say rendezvous that goes into the oohs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I almost thought it was through with you, but I but I really listened to the headphones. I think it says rendezvous it, it, and you're doing the oohs. It is. And that's not my voice. That, that I think that's a comp. That's either Don or 
John or a combination of both. I noticed that Don does some, uh, it's credited with some backing vocals on the record, as well as production engineering and, and, and mixing the album, which uh, which is cool. I'm always about that when you bring in extra voices, because uh, it, it, it's neat and you can't tell. And, and I, I would have just assumed that was you or John, but it may, may be Don. Don has an incredible voice for harmony and knack for writing them. Uh, yeah, he's like the, the 90s, 2000s Mutt Lang, like... <laughs> crazy crazy uh high kind of like great pitch voice that's awesome well at the two minute and 13 seconds so uh about uh 12 seconds uh, after the, the instrumental bridge part uh we get into uh the lyrical part and right off the top that tremolo guitar which is really pronounced now comes in here and it just it just gives it a different texture the ooze on the vocals are now tucked a little lower. They're behind everything here. Throughout most of this, uh, there's a really cool, uh, cool low register vocal harmony, um, except the the very last line, the timey to the the bedpost line, which we'll get to in a moment. But I'm gonna read these lyrics and have you set it up. I alone am the one you don't know you need. Take heed, feed your ego, make me blind when your eyes close, sink when you get close. Timey to the bedpost. I am alone, am the one you don't know you need. You don't know you need me. But make me blind when your eyes close. Tie me to the bedpost. And there's a dynamic here. The band stops. It's really cool on bedpost. And then just on the word post, there's a high harmony holdout that goes underneath the final chorus that comes in. It just is killer. So this is the elusive bridge that you didn't have. How was this written? Don said, Max, we need a we need a bridge. Take that guitar and go into the into the pool room and and write a bridge. And I swear to God, it took me like seven minutes. Like it just popped out. And hearing it now and hearing like it's so funny. I can I can pick out the influences so clearly. And they're so disparate <laughs> like the i alone thing st- is straight up radio rock getting into my head because that live song was everywhere the i alone love you i alone tempt you whatever that song was I think it was live. It was live. Was that live? Yeah, yeah, it was live. It was live. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So there's that. There was this songwriter guy, Will Harrison, who we did an, another tiny all ages show with, who was a really good writer and and also like kind of out of his mind. But we like we we, we made friends with him. We actually recorded a, a a demo for him in John's dad's tiny little studio some crazy stories with 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 him like he he called me once at at my parents house and was like hey man i just got out of a mental institution um like uh, or a 5150 for spitting on a scientologist do you want to come you want to come pick me up and we'll like play some guitar and i was like sure and i went and picked <laughs> file under stuff i wouldn't do today yeah yeah (laughs) i went and picked him up we we played guitar like we went to some random person's house we like bust busked on the street for a minute 
anyway, he had a song and the lyric was take heed as you, as you speed your ego to your Island of lies. And I mean, what, what's my line? Take, take heed, feed your ego. Um, mm-hmm. So that's definitely in there. And then with the cadence, um, it's straight up Savage Garden. That Savage Garden song that was a huge hit at yeah. the time. The, uh, shit, how did it go? Um, every time I want to see your face, it just goes not as and I am taken to a place of your crystal mind and magenta. That whole thing. Growing up, I mean, John and I were on a steady diet of punk rock, weird shit, ordering from the K Records catalog. Oh, yeah. You know, um, everything from, I mean, your band to Jawbreaker, the Mises, like all of this stuff. But then we were also very much listening to the radio. And I think those factors combined to make this song that, on paper would have been an impossible you know inside out would have been it's an impossible pop radio hit but it's like a friend of mine said this once like hit songs are so weird because more often than not it's like they are literally weird there's something about them that they they have as much a chance of being a fucking stiff as as they do of going it's not like it's it, you know what yeah, I mean? it's such lightning in the bottle. Yeah. It's such lightning in the bottle stuff. You can't. And, and that's why I, I said it's just just your story in and of itself. It's it, it's amazing. There's not many people can say they had a hit single on the radio, you know, and, and why was this a hit? And somebody else's song that's great wasn't. We don't know. You'll never know. You'll never know. It just it's so strange. And especially at a time when there was literally zero guitar on the radio. I mean, this was when Inside Out came out. It was like second wave of techno Lilith Fair you know, Sarah McLaughlin stuff, like there was not, there weren't electric guitars, you know? So it was like, yeah, it was kind of, kind of jangly pop stuff. It wasn't, you're right. You're right. Um, this fourth chorus here, uh, comes in and I know you mentioned that Don thought there was a lot of stuff here. I noticed that none of the choruses changed lyrically. Well, the the very end of this one does, but it's kind of like an outro, but there's a lot of information in this chorus. It's not a refrain sung over and over. Turn it inside out. Turn it inside out. You know, it's yeah. a lot of lyrics. So was that conscious of like, you know, did you ever say, hey, I want to change this line here, Don? And Don was like, no, we're, we got to keep this. There's enough here. No, I, Don was very authoritarian. I think in a way that was really served us being as like inexperienced as we were he would be the one to say max this lyric needs to change he 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 wouldn't he wouldn't write the lyric but he would be like this part can be better and he'd straight up say like who cares like like this line makes i don't care like it's boring you know he would say that stuff but <laughs> he would do it in such a way that it made me want to go in and get it and dig and get creative whereas it's weird how that happens. Like some, some people who offer criticism, people I've worked with before don't have that thing where, you know, it's, it's, it's very often an an impediment to creativity. Uh, Like it's, you know, it can close you off. I've always said the best producers, they have a psychological component to them. They can get into the, they're not going to get into Max's head. Like they're going to get into Chris's head. You're a different human being. He has to approach you differently. The fact that he was able to do that, you know, when we're younger or, you know, I don't know if you want to call it ego. A lot of times we're not able to take criticism, be it constructive or be it harsh criticism. It's terrifying. And the fact that, yeah, absolutely. And the fact that you guys were that young and you let Don in and he, he, like you said, uh, challenged you and you said, you know what? I'm going to go off in the corner. I'm going to write this bridge. Or I'm going to make this lyric better. Uh, I want to be creative is the word you use. That is awesome. Um, chorus four, when you come in here, it's sung higher than any of the three, the two, pre, the two full band previous choruses. You're, 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 you're singing it up and it, and it lifts there. Was that always the same or did you, did you, were you going to sing the chorus in the same notes as before? Or was that a suggestion from Don? It's a really good question. I hope my memory is serving me. I think that we had those 
So the chords in the outro under the last chorus are the same chords as the bridge. Um, so they're different from the chords in the first two choruses that are very strange and are, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> so now the chord progression is very simple. It's B E A E over and over again from the time you hit the verse till, till the end of the song. I think we had that arrangement as a band. I think that's the way we had it arranged. And so the, the original, the melody of the first two choruses would not have worked Right. And did you did you work backwards if those chords were like that for the last chorus? When you went and wrote the bridge, were you like, I'm going to mine those last chorus chords to kind of fit into the bridge? Do you remember that's how that happened? Well, I remember we'd already tracked the song and had that chordal blueprint. So when I was going okay. to write the bridge, I was like, okay, these are the chords I need to write this thing to. On the line, uh, swallow my doubt, turn it inside out, find nothing but faith in nothing, want to put my tender heart in a blender, watch it spin around to a beautiful oblivion, rendezvous, then I'm through. That whole part, there's a super high vocal harmony that comes in there. And again, for a last chorus, you want it to lift. There's also, at the very top of this chorus... You don't hear it in the other choruses. It's a cool picking arpeggiated guitar part that is only here yeah. in the fourth chorus. And it's just another thing. When we get down here to uh, Rendezvous that I'm through, there's this killer guitar feedback that comes in. And then for the last 30 seconds of the song, it almost sounds like another pair of stereo guitars or something comes in. It just gets big there at the end. It say now i'm through with you which is like the, the other choruses and then you say through with you i know don mixed this there's a cool vocal delay on yeah. the you there that kind of swirls around and it's just it just gives you uh i don't know just makes me makes you feel a certain way it's cool there's no vocal harmony on that line and there's no vocal harmony on the very last line which also adds that personal touch you just say rendezvous and i'm through with you and the song ends that's the only line of the song that was recorded after the fact. It, um, the very last line of the song, I sang at Electric Lady in New York City when we were mixing. I, I actually think he may have had the mix done or, or close to done. It was like, I need you to sing one last line on the song. And I hear it. I, I hear a different tone. You know, it was a different day. It was probably- That's you know, interesting. I'm sure it was the same- not the same microphone, but the same microphone, but different room, different tone. So when the song was all done, you're now a couple of years removed from high school. You're in Electric Ladyland, a world-renowned studio with a, a producer. You're on a major label. When the song was done, you sang that last vocal. You're hearing it back. Did, did anybody, RCA, did you guys, anybody feel like this is a hit or was it just another song on the record at that point? Chris, I swear to God, <laughs> when I got inside out when i rewrote that that verse broke it to halftime and got it in in the form that was similar to the way it would end up i remember getting to school in the morning would have been 10th or 11th grade and telling john our guitar player dude i think i think this song could be on the radio <laughs> i remember saying <laughs> i remember that saying is that. awesome man that is that is awesome I remember saying that and it's like so pie in the sky, like, uh, you know, whatever. Cause but. I know what my, I know what me and my friends were writing in 11th grade. It just nothing that would have had any chance of being on the radio at all. And 
this just doesn't seem this song does not seem juvenile to me there's some maturity here you were you were ahead of your ahead of your time as as an 11th grader it's that's really really cool so now again you you, you were saying you thought this was a hit when you were a kid you're you're in a studio a couple of years later did you have the same feeling like wow we have something here yeah yeah i mean i i i had no doubt that like that was the song that was like the most special um and there was some <clears throat> disagreement about that um among the label a and r guy even don who thought that the song that would be our second single leech should be the first single it was the radio promo guy <laughs> ron poor at rca who was a fucking character man i mean you know how these folks are uh, uh <laughs> the radio was, guy at capital was a character yeah dude. um <laughs> He straight up heard the record, said Inside Out is a number one alternative song, and I'm going to get it there. You know, like in true, the true, you know, egotism of a radio promo promo guy, but fucking God bless him because he did. It, It was like, it was like fucking, you know, pointing to the stands and hitting a grand slam kind of thing. Like he was like, I am going to take this to number one. And he didn't rest, you know, and it, yeah. it was a it was a slow climb up the chart. And there were lots of many weeks where we got knocked back down and we were like, oh, it's over. And then it would start to creep back up. There were a lot of stations that didn't want to play the song because, like I said, it didn't necessarily fit the format of rock alternative, whatever it was called radio at the time, um, especially the big cities who were like too cool for it. And he fucking did it. That that's awesome. Well, we're gonna wrap up here in a moment. I just have to say a couple things. First of all, uh, just shocked that you wrote this in high school. Uh, it's I can't can't even believe it. That's that's such a such a great story. Um, and I gotta say, um, you're my forever whatever it's worth. You're my favorite internet comedian. Your Twitter posts. Okay, I mean. <laughs> 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 if you haven't checked out the E6 account, Max, you're on fire, okay? And I think what I love so much now more about talking to you, because uh, this is the first time that, that Max and I have, have met, uh, I, I I know that the, the self-deprecating, I thought I was self-deprecating, your self-deprecating humor, none of this is lost on you. The irony of, you know, we were in a high school, I wrote this track, and you got one of those slots, man. You got on the radio. Like you were the biggest band for your 15 minutes in 98. You guys were it, you yeah. know? And that's that's really awesome. And to see you take a piss out of yourself is is refreshing and and it's awesome. So if you haven't checked out uh, the Eve 6 Twitter, <laughs> go go check it out and I just want to give you a chance right now to to plug anything that you or the band may have coming up. Sure. No, I and let me say I really appreciate this. This is like really fun and you're good at this <laughs> um, oh thank you i, I appreciate that and, and it, it is a lot of fun i've been a fan of your band since i was a kid uh yeah we we have an ep that's done um the second single from it comes out tonight at midnight actually it's called can we combine the video will come out tomorrow and it features um uh two juggalos uh female jugglers so i guess juggalettes um playing board games uh jugglers are working class heroes um excited about <laughs> this video coming out the ep is called grim value it's going to come out in june <clears throat> and uh and we have a full length recorded as well so when after the ep comes out you know it'll be another month or two before we drop song 1 of the record. So we're, we're kind of, we're kicking the band into a, into a, a different gear and, uh, and, and really enjoying the shit we're doing, which is, I don't know, it's hard for me to be objective about it. You, you know how it is, but sure. <clears throat> it's, uh, I mean, it's where a three piece rock band, it's like guitar, bass, drums, r- zero frills. And we're really pulling from, from our i think our influences are maybe apparent on this stuff for the first time so it's cool awesome man well hey thank you for taking the time uh uh, to 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 be on the show and break down the song It it was very interesting thanks so much chris i appreciate it man i'll see you out there
Hope you all had a great time with Max and Chris this Throwback Thursday. If you love Chris to Makes a Podcast, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And head to ChrisToMakes.com to sign up for our supporting cast, where you'll get weekly bonus episodes of our other podcast, which is called The After Party. We'll be back with a new episode of Chris to Makes a Podcast this Monday, and I hope that you all enjoy a lot of great music in the meantime. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.